Well, good morning. So David texted me last night at 6.30 and said, I'm sick, can you preach for me? Well, fortunately, I had been working on the uh, next message in the series we uh, went through last year, if you remember, in Genesis. So turn to uh, chapter 49. I did and do, Lord willing, plan to get through the end of this book. But just uh, seven verses. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. O Lord our God, this is your word. And it is good for us to be in your word. It is good for us to hear your word. It is good for our souls. It is good for our lives. Oh Lord, it is a double-edged sword and we thank you for that. We need that piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. You discern the thoughts and intents of our hearts. They are often secret. We keep them from one another. And sometimes we are even deceived ourselves, but we are exposed before you, O God, and let us be exposed that we might repent, that we might believe, that we might follow you, that we might be faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, for that is our desire. We love because he first loved us. Give us stronger love, and in that a stronger turning away from the sin that clings so easily and ensnares us so rapidly. Oh God, we love you so much. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever wanted to look into the future and know what will happen in days to come? Well, those who are young, probably, I think maybe I did a long time ago, you know, 
Who will I marry? What will be my job? Where will I live? You know, will I be prosperous? Will I be poor? Etc., etc., etc. But when you're older, I don't know, maybe not so much, right? I'm thinking I want to go back in one of those time machines and change the future. Sometimes I think that. Well, you probably won't remember this, but back on the first Sunday uh, of this year, I stated what's rather obvious to all of us, and that is that no one knows what will happen in 2020. <laughs> but wow. Did we expect all these events of the last, what, four or five months? Did we know how 2020 would unfold? COVID, riots, buildings burning, historic monuments being taken down, etc., etc. Well, actually, maybe we should have expected some of these events. I'll explain that later. The final three chapters of Genesis are primarily focused on the future. They're no longer really, hist well, they are historic, but they are prophetic, and they are forward-looking. It's particularly true of chapter 49, where Jacob gathers his sons together, and he speaks to them of, he says, things that shall happen to them in days to come. He tells them about the future each son and each tribe will have. He says, the blessing that is suitable to each. Look at verse 28 of this chapter. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them. The blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. John Calvin wrote about this. As if carried above the heavens, he announces, not in the character of a man, not Jacob the man sitting there, so to speak, uh, but Calvin says, but as from the mouth of God, what shall be the condition of them all for a long time to come? So this is prophecy then. This is not so much Jacob speaking, but this is vo the voice of the Lord Almighty. He is, through this man, announcing his blessing upon these 12 tribes. Well, Genesis actually is a book of blessing. The Bible is a book of blessing. You remember back at the beginning, I didn't start there, but you know the book of Genesis, that God blessed Adam and Eve there in the garden. At the very beginning, God blessed his people. They were a people of blessing. And then later on, he blessed Noah and Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And now he's blessing all the 12 sons of Jacob. Except some of these sound more like judgments, don't they? If you read them, we just read the first several. Uh, they sound more like judgments than blessings, and yet they are blessings because we know that all 12 tribes would what? They would be brought into the promised land, into the place, the dwelling place of God, and they would be God's blessed people on earth. 
And yet, these are warnings as well. And, well, such warnings are given to God's people throughout all of Scripture, throughout all of the Bible, even to the end of the Bible, to Revelation. You remember the words of Jesus to the seven churches. He rebukes them, not all of them, most of them, for particular areas where they were faithless and disobedient and disregarding of the commands of God. And yet he also speaks to the one who conquers the blessing that it's implied, the blessing that one or those ones would receive, the ones who conquer. And then in chapter 16, verse 15, some things. He says, blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on. And in 22, 7, Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Blessed are those who keep the commands, the words of the book of Revelation. In 22.14, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter, by the, city, enter the city by the gates. And then there's that warning near the very end of the book of Revelation about not adding to or taking away from from the book. And so the the theme of blessing, which, which includes warning, runs through the Bible from the beginning to end. And here is Jacob in his final days, when he's near the end of his life, and he gathers all of his sons together, all around him, all in the same room. And he speaks prophetically to them of these blessings. Of course, he starts with Reuben. Reuben was his firstborn son. He says, my might and the first fruits of my strength. It's a Hebrew figure of speech. It refers to the the firstborn's birthright to the double inheritance because the the first son, the firstborn son, would, would rank first, would be chief among all the children. And so Jacob adds that Reuben was preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. You remember the story from long ago in, in the book of Genesis that Jacob, he wanted Rachel no, it was love at first sight. You remember the story, that romantic story? It was love at first sight. And he wanted Rachel as his wife. But Laban deceived him and gave him a different daughter, Leah, first instead. And eventually he had two wives, but Rachel was barren at first. But Leah conceived in short order, and she gave birth to her first son, Reuben. And though we know that Jacob loved Rachel, wife number two, in order, Jacob loved Reuben, his first child, his firstborn son. I can still, <laughs> I can still remember, it's burned into my brain the day my first child was born. 
I can remember a lot of those details. It was thrilling and exciting. I had a daughter. It was an incredible thing. I remember before that, Barbara and I were married five years before our, daughter, our first child was born. And before that, of course, I was a youth pastor. I, I was with the teens, but I also played with the smaller children of the church. I was actually invited to, uh, as a 20-something-year-old seminary student, I was invited to the birthday party of a five-year-old. I'm not sure what this says about my maturity, but uh, I enjoyed the children of the church back in those days. But now, my daughter was born. I had my own child, my own daughter, and I loved her so much. And two more still to come. How much joy. Well, Jacob's hopes and dreams were in his, were in his son. Reuben had the dignity and honor of the firstborn. He had the strength of being his father's heir. Reuben had the opportunity to, to excel and to be great like his fathers, like Abraham and like Isaac and like Jacob. He had the place to be the, a patriarch, but he wasted all that. He threw it away like Esau. Jacob says, unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. He's saying, the father is saying, you are cast down from your lofty position as firstborn. You have lost the dignity and honor that you had. Why? Because unstable as water, he committed adultery. He followed the way of lust and sin. The word refers to uh, water boiling over like in, in a pot. Boiling over. And so, figuratively, lust being excited in the heart and overflowing into adulterous relationships. He was a flirt and a womanizer. He was a man of scandal. And actually, the story referred to here is told in Genesis in one verse, in 35, verse 22, goes like this. When, while Israel lived in that land... Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Well, Bilhah was Rachel's maidservant and the mother of two of Jacob's sons and Reuben's brothers, Dan and Naphtali. And this, this act of adultery, this act of great sin actually happened not long after Rachel's death, which is mentioned just three verses previously. And so lust in his heart boiled over like this hot, like this, like water in a pot heated in a hot fire. 
and overflowed, and everyone got burned. Reuben, Bilhah, Jacob, even, even Rachel in the grave, and Reuben's brothers. Can someone walk on hot coals and their feet not be burned? Is it possible? Proverbs 6.32 says, He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. And so Reuben's preeminence was given to Joseph. Next, Jacob addresses Simeon and Levi. He says they are brothers. Simeon was Leah's second son, Levi the third. And they were probably close in age. We can imagine that Levi was maybe born, I don't know, 12 to 18 months after Simeon. Regardless, they, they had a close relationship, these two brothers of the same mother. They were, in a sense, like twins. I have twin nephews. I watched them grow up. They were, they're, not were, but are fraternal twins. Not identical, but nearly identical in appearance. They were very similar in, in interests and skills. And as children, they were always together. They were really, they were really best friends and, and comrades. They were buddies. And Simeon and Levi, I imagine, were like that. And so unlike the other bro brothers, Jacob addresses them together not individually, because they were these compatriots. They were BFFs. Where one was, so was the other. What one did, so the other joined in together. Wonderful, that relationship, that relationship as compatriots, right? As comrades, best friends. Well, not always, right? Because two can cause double the trouble or worse. And that's exactly what happened with Simeon and Levi. They plotted together and jointly carried out terrible, terrible violence and destruction. And that's why Jacob addressed them together, because their legacy was the evil that they had done together. The story is told in chapter 34. And you remember that these two brothers, along with Reuben and Judah, also had a sister, Dinah. And for a time, the, the family of Jacob lived in Shechem. And while they were there, Shechem, the son of Hamor, who's called the prince of the land, had a crush on Jacob's daughter, Dinah. She was perhaps a beautiful woman, and his heart just fluttered when he saw her. And the Bible says he loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her, you can imagine. And then he showed his love for her by raping her. The sons of Jacob were angry. I mean, Shechem had done, in fact, as they said, 
an outrageous thing or a disgraceful thing in Israel, thing which ought not to be done. In this, the sons of Jacob were absolutely right. But what Jacob addresses in his instruction to his sons is their response to that evil, what they did in repayment of that evil, first through deceit, pretending to go along with their idea of, of merging the two families into one through marriage. They convinced all the men, the adult grown men, to be circumcised. Now, now there's a reason that when males are circumcised, there's, they're circumcised as infants. Because that's something I'm quite sure you do not want to remember. <laughs> right? But then on the third day, we're told, when they were still sore, you think? Simeon and Levi, and, uh, yeah, Levi rose up in such fierce rage and anger that they murdered all the men of the city. Not just those that were guilty, but all the men, everyone. Their acts were cruel and brutal. In fact, they even subjected the animals to their cruelty. They severed the tendons of the hind feet of the oxen, and that was an injury from which those animals could never recover. They would have had to be shot. And so, indeed, Shechem acted violently toward Dinah, but was not the violence of the brothers ten times greater? And when Jacob rebuked his sons back in that day, they responded self-righteously, should he treat our daughter like a prostitute? Well, no. But should you destroy the entire city as retribution? Oh, hey, man, that sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? To our ears today, U.S. cities being torn up and burnt for retribution for some actual or perceived crime or offense. But even if that crime, even if that offense is, is real, is not the retribution far greater than the crime itself? Is it not a greater wrong? You see, the evil these sons of light had done was far greater than the evil the sons of darkness had done. Their swords, Jacob said, became weapons of violence. I said earlier on that futures can be predicted to some extent, not in actual circumstances, but character can predict the future. We now, we now all know the name Derek Chauvin. Sound familiar? He's the former police officer who murdered George Floyd. And there's a short YouTube video which I happened upon that tells how Shalvin uh, had a history of violence and he had many complaints against him and, and, and multiple shootings as a police officer. So could the George Floyd incident have been predicted? 
Perhaps, actually, because rage and murder was in his heart. And because, in fact, the two men, it turns out, had a history, one with the other, a bad history with each other. And so Reubens and Simeon's and Levi's sins perhaps could have been predicted because of what was in their hearts displayed by their previous behavior. You know, Jesus said, out of the heart, out of what's in the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. There's an ad today that I'm sure you've heard on TV, I guess, and asked the question, what's in your wallet? Well, the question for us is, what's in your heart? What is in your heart? Hatred, anger, lust, vengeance, arrogance, leading to immorality and murder, or peace and love? You know, lust has been in the human heart since the fall. And so, impurity in heart, language and conduct, leading to the ever so commonplace promiscuity and adultery and fornication. It's been around for a long time throughout the entire history of this corrupt race of humankind. But beloved, you know it's become a monstrous problem in our day, wreaking havoc upon marriages and families and our culture. It's become the centerpiece of our culture. It really describes who we are now as Americans. We are a, a lusting and a lustful people. You see it in our movies, in our magazines and TV shows or advertisements feed upon our lust. American women dress to incite lust. It's the truth. Popular music promotes and exalts lust, and politicians declare it's basically good. And perversity has been legislated into our way of living. Lust is our world view. It is the pursuit of of happiness. It's the perceived path to freedom. It is our salvation as we see it. Do you think that's overstated? Do you know the name Margaret Sanger? You should. She founded planned, I like to call it planned barrenhood. She wrote this. Through sex, mankind will, will attain the great spiritual illumination which will transform the world and light up the only path to an earthly paradise. In other words, sex is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's why our culture promotes 
homosexuality because, hey, it's just another great way. It's why abortion must be legal because we can't allow a baby to interfere with our happiness and freedom. We can't allow our salvation to be lost through childbirth. Sex must be allowed to attain its end, this paradise, this utopia. The only problem is it brings bondage and misery and disease and ultimately death. Proverbs 7 describes a young man whose heart lit up, lit up at the enticing words of the adulterous woman. And the Bible says he does not know that it will cost him his life. What is in your heart will predict your future. On one occasion, Jesus called the people together and said, Hear and understand what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Every one of us is born with a defiled heart, and understand that heart can lead us into any kind of sin and evil, even Adultery, even murder, and I'm not talking about just teenagers or people in their 20s, but men and women in their 40s and 50s and 60s. No one is immune. So what is in your heart? That will determine your future. Does a cop set out to become a murderer? Does anyone plan on their wedding day? They're standing there before the people planning to become an adulterer? Parents, observe your children. Observe their character, how it develops, good or bad. Their tendency to tell lies, be deceitful, to be hurtful of others, to talk back, etc., etc., that character may well determine their future. You know, today in our land, we are reaping the destruction that comes from an evil heart, the destruction of murder and violence and adultery. We are putting Romans 1 into life. It's displayed out there on the streets. We are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. We are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, and so forth because we have suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. Our hearts have become dark and evil. And we, as a nation, and we think we are so wise and so educated and so brilliant, we are but fools. And yet the grace of God. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you, how's that go? There is forgiveness that you may be feared. 
See, Simeon and Reuben were not actually cut off from the land. But they were included among the 12 tribes. They were given a place. They were given an inheritance. They were given a place in the dwelling of God. And the Levites became the priests. The Levites. And two sons of Levi became very great men in Israel. Moses and Aaron became blessed brothers, so to speak. They became brothers who led Israel in the right and good way. Calvin wrote, The incredible goodness of God shines forth in this, that the punishment of Levi was changed into the reward of the priesthood. Isn't that great? They did not bear their disgrace forever. But God made them a tribe, the priestly tribe that was honored by all the others. And great men came from them, including Ezra and John the Baptist to announce the coming of the Messiah. You know, this is the transforming grace of God. What Gary read earlier, what we once were, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, thieves, greedy, drunkards, whatever. But now, Paul wrote, but now you've been washed, sanctified, justified. Once we were angry and bitter and self-exalting and violent and etc. But now in Christ, you are peacemakers and grace givers. You once rose up against others in anger and retribution, but now you in Christ lay down your lives for the brothers. Remember that Jacob said the swords of Simeon and Levi were were weapons of violence? The prophet Micah said this, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and the people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall shall decide disputes for strong nations far away, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. The Messiah, the Christ, is the Prince of Peace. He gives a new heart, a pure heart, a loving heart, a self-denying heart, a humble heart. Yes, we are forgiven in Christ. 
Praise God for that. But praise God that Jesus heals the heart. The heart's the problem. And so the heart is the solution. All the legislation in the world is not going to do much of anything. It's not the answer. The heart is the answer. A new heart is the answer. And so we must pray. We must preach the Word of God in season and out of season. We must pray for revival. And as the church, we must seek first the kingdom of God. We must seek our God above all and walk with a pure heart that He gave to us. We are a blessed people. We have received the Lord's blessings as the nation of Israel did. You know, even in Romans chapter 3 and 9, the Apostle Paul says essentially that the, the Israelites in those days even were a blessed people and yet they rejected the truth, most of them did, with hard and impenitent hearts. So what is in your heart? War or peace? Self or love? Flesh or spirit? Let me close with the words from Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Amen? Oh Lord God, you have given to us the Spirit, your people. You have healed the heart and made us your blessed people. And yet we are prone to wander. We are prone to leave the Lord we love. We are prone to follow the path of the unrighteous and the wicked because we have these hearts. We read Romans 7 and we know it's so true. So deliver us, lead us not into transgression. Lord, deliver us from evil. May we walk by the Spirit for the Spirit's in our hearts. Thank you that you have given us these many blessings. Let us be aware with eyes wide open to our own sin and, and live with a pure heart. Lord, let us not dishonor you in any way, for we are yours. We've been bought 
with a precious price. We are yours in Jesus. Amen.